This morning is April 2nd. It is Sunday morning. And after an eventful worship service where we broke strings and had uh, every conceivable interruption, we found out that the Lord will still show up despite our inadequacies. Huh? Might even be better if we're a little bit flawed. It shows where His glory and His power is. Y'all thought we were just doing a tribute to the Church of Christ this morning, right? Doing it a cappella. He'll receive worship any way that you do it, as long as your heart is in it. This morning our message is called Transformers. A little subtitle is More Than Meets the Eye. Y'all remember that cartoon? I know Gabe did. We talked about it yesterday. This was something that was popular when Matthew and I were in elementary school, younger than Judah. And the really neat thing about these Transformers is that it looked like a normal truck. Y'all remember there was a guy in it named Optimus Prime? David, don't act like you don't remember. They remember, trust me. guy in it named Optimus Prime. And he is a uh, uh, semi. And he has the ability to change into a man. And he was kind of the hero. And it was neat because when you looked at him and you saw a semi... You weren't aware until some transformation took place that there was really a man in there. There was another guy named Megatron. He was the arch enemy of Optimus Prime. And Megatron looked like a gun. But inside of the gun, when you moved around the parts, there was a man. Now, both of these guys had something else in common, other than the fact that they just changed from one thing into another thing. They both formed a part of a larger entity. All of the good transformers on one team, they transform from their ordinary, lifelike, mere, natural equipment into men and these warriors. And then they lock together to form a bigger entity, some other robot-looking thing. I don't really, if anybody remembers what it's called, you can tell me. But Optimus Prime was right in the center and everybody else attached to him and he was this big robot that fought the enemy. Now, the arch enemy, Megatron, who was a gun, a weapon, he fit right into the hand of another enemy robot, and he shot. I started thinking about this this week. I hadn't watched that cartoon since I was... Since yesterday. No, I'm kidding. Since I was a little kid. But in the body of Christ, nobody is what they appear to be. You look and you see, say, wow, that is just an old carpenter, or that's just an electrician or that guy's just a salesman, or whatever. That's not what we are. Maybe what we appear to be, but we're not mere natural men. We are sons of God called to supernatural glory. And we unite with each other into the body of Christ to fight the enemies of God. Now, on the other side, this Megatron guy, he looks just like a weapon, right? I mean, you'd like to just stomp him out. He's a gun. What good is that for? But it's not really him that's bad. He's working in the hand of someone else. When you encounter troubles, and the Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, the weapon's not the individual that you meet. It's the spirit that is using him like a tool in their hand. That's a good perspective to have. Turn with me to Romans 12. Y'all got to get out your Bibles. In Romans 12, we're given a command. Tell me when you're there. Somebody say, I'm there. There. All right. Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You ever talk about in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, spiritual worship? You know where spiritual worship really starts? It's not moving in the charismata. You know what it is? It's doing what God tells you to do on a daily basis. Acting like you're a tool in His hands. In fact, the Jews teach that study is the highest form of worship. Isn't that interesting? When you think of worship, you just think of a stringed instrument, or unless you're from the, some other church, then you might think of singing, but some kind of music. The Bible defines a spiritual act of worship as being fully submitted to God. Isn't that awesome? You're worshiping Him with your life by doing what He tells you to do, when He tells you to do it. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is pressure upon you to conform. There's more than just pressure upon you to conform. You were pre-molded to the image of the world. You ever seen those things, the spongy material that you can press it into a shape and it'll hold that? Or you can get it wet and then it'll... What is that stuff, Mandy, that you therapists use? You get it wet and you make splints out of it? Uh, Mandy doesn't remember. I don't know. But there are things in this world that when you apply water or pressure or you shape it and then let it sit, it will stay in that shape. You were born conformed to the image of this world. Like when I taught about Zacchaeus the other day, he was born short, he just couldn't help it. Well, we're born with the wrong pattern, the wrong image in our life. Knowing good from evil because it's in the creation, but with the inability to choose the good that you should do. That is the normal pattern. And Paul is encouraging the Roman church to not conform to that pattern. Don't do what seems natural for you to do. Don't do what everybody else does around you. Be renewed. Have you noticed in sales everything is new? It can be the same old Tide bleach, or Tide's not bleach, Tide laundry detergent, but it says new and improved. Probably the only thing new about it is the new colors on the box. But... They have learned in advertising that if something is new, you will want it as opposed to what is old. The beauty about Christians is that you become new every day. You are being renewed. That's kind of a funny word. Something's either new or it's not, right? No, to be renewed means that you take something old, worthless, nasty, and you make it new again. And this happens every day. The beauty of Christianity is not that you are saved, but that you are being saved every day. With this in mind, you are constantly transforming by this renewing into something else. Turn with me to Luke 9. I know we had a long slideshow beforehand and I've already talked to you a lot this morning. But if you can give me another 25 minutes where you will really think about and apply this Word, it should transform your life. It really should transform you. It should change you. In the ninth chapter of Luke, which is on page 1149 in the Thompson Chain, that's where it begins, but we're going to start reading on page 1150 in verse 28. 
says about eight days after Jesus said this, he had said that his disciples would see the kingdom of God, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about His departure, or exodus, some translations will say, which He was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Isn't that funny? Every time Jesus goes to pray, His disciples go to sleep. I was told in the early days of ministry that you simply could not expect the church to show up for prayer meetings. That it had been tried, it had been done, but it had never worked. I don't think that that's the ideal that we're supposed to shoot for. If we call a prayer meeting, I would hope that you would show up and pray. You know why? Because it's part of the transformation process. You fight off the flesh's desire to watch the Super Bowl, and you spend a few minutes with your spirit soaring into the presence of the eternal God. How could we trade one for the other? You have to value one more than the other, don't you? Well, Peter's asleep, or sleepy, anyway. But when they became fully awake, they saw His glory and the two men standing with Him. The problem with most people is that we walk around spiritually sleepy, unable to recognize the spiritual things that are going on around us. But at some point in your life, you become fully awake and you see His glory the glory of the one and only God, and that will change your life forever. But how do you go from being sleepy to fully awake? There's a point in time on the planet and in history where God came for you. He came seeking to save that which was lost. And at the same time, His Spirit was creating in you a desire to see Him, to want to know about Him, but it was for one purpose, that you would see His glory and then begin a transformation process into that glory. We'll read about that in a minute. He's asleep. And now he's becoming fully awake. And I saw the glory and the two men standing with him. Verse 33. As the men were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving uh, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Luke adds in the margin, if you will, he did not know what he was saying. (laughs) How many times in life have you been in a spiritual situation and you tried to describe it and it just proved you didn't know what you were talking about? But what he said, is it a good thing? He's there in the presence of the kingdom of God. He's realizing it because he can see it. He's fully awake and he can see the glory of God and he sees saints from years gone by, they're talking with Jesus. And what does He want to do? What's His desire? Is it just to be a construction worker? Is that what He wants to build shelters for? He wants to dwell in the presence of God. He says, it's good that we're here. Hey, we, this doesn't have to stop. They don't have to go home back to their own houses. Whatever it was He was thinking, He didn't know what He was talking about. He said, look, we'll build shelters. We can stay here. We can stay in this presence. Is that a good desire? That's a desire that Jesus died for, was to get you into the presence of God. We'll read about that in a minute, but let's look what else happens. 
While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. Peter made a suggestion. He said, I would like to build something here so that we can stay in this. He didn't know what he was talking about. But suddenly a cloud envelops them and a voice from heaven speaks to Peter and says, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. You know why? Jesus was going to show Peter how to stay in that cloud all the days of his life. He was going to provide a way for him to be in the kingdom and presence of God all the days of his life. But Peter didn't know what he was asking for or what he was talking about. He just answered out of a mere natural desire. A, a, a totally fleshly answer, but based on good motives. Our job is to wake ourselves up, to become fully awake so that we can see the glory of God and we know what we are working towards. To live in the presence of God, empowered by God, reflecting His glory, so that we're moving towards something that we do understand and that we do know what we're talking about. This is God's desire for us. We're going to find out it's why He gave us the Holy Spirit. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is My Son whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. They saw the men and then they didn't see the men. Jesus the moment before was not shining with brightness and glory and then was shining with brightness and glory just like lightning. What's funny is there's no real change mentioned as far as Jesus. He didn't do something differently. wasn't like on TV when somebody you know, speaks a word or a magic incantation and then they're changed. But the change that is spoken of as occurring is that they were sleepy and then they became fully awake and Saul. See, Jesus had glory with the Father before time began. Jesus was in the presence of God all of the time. You know what was different on that mountain? They could see Jesus in the presence of God. They could see Jesus in glory. Guys, there are angels around us now. There are spiritual principalities in these heavenly realms around us now. Their presence doesn't depend upon you seeing them or not seeing them. It's there. But at times, we awaken to the fact, we realize the fact, and we can suddenly see it, understand it, comprehend it, feel it even. They saw the presence of God and they decided this is a good thing. We'd like to build something here. Didn't know what they were asking for. But God speaks from the cloud and says, I heard what you asked for, but this is my son. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And the inference is, you'll get what you're after. If you just listen, do what He says to do and you'll get what you're after. Turn with me to Mark 15. Do you want to build shelters in the presence of God? Do you want to camp with the saints like Moses and Elijah? Do you want to look fully into the glory of the risen Messiah's face? Those are good desires to have. We spent a long time last Wednesday night talking about whether or not God gives the Spirit without measure. Whether or not Jesus had a special anointing 
that we don't have, whether He had more of the Spirit than we have. We spent a long time discussing the nature of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and what His function is and what He does. Saints, the problem with Christians most of the time, the problem with me most of the time, is we don't use what God's already given us. We're on a cruise, all the food is paid for, and we're hiding in our room thinking we can't afford the tab. We're eating cheese and crackers, not understanding what God's given us the more that we become fully awake and we begin to see the glory of God, you'll realize you already are a shelter for God's presence. It doesn't need to be built. It's already here. The more we become fully awake, you'll understand what He's given you and what you're empowered to do. And like I was telling you about in the slideshow before the service, you begin to be assembled into a dwelling and a house for God rather than just random building materials. Bobby has a purpose, even in this church. Steve has a purpose. Even in this church, it's our job to find those purposes and to begin to fulfill them. This is really different than our individualistic type thought in America. Each man has the power of a vote. Each man's an individual. He's an island. We do what we want to do. This is not a Jewish way of thinking and it's not the way that the Bible presents it. They were a community. When it says Israel did something, it assumes that they all did it. They functioned and lived and acted in a communal society. You've joined a communal faith. Our job is to be filled with the presence of God and see what we're supposed to be doing in the community of faith. That's our purpose. And it's our function. To be transformed, not to just be the semi, but to learn to be the warrior man that God's called you to be. Y'all in Mark? Mark 15. Y'all in, Mark? Yes? Y'all awake? In Mark 15, starting in verse 33, At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. I always wondered how that could happen. It's because the man had been beaten beyond recognition. He had been hung on a cross, bleeding, dying, and naked. And I imagine his speech was not as clear as he wanted it to be. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. What agony. Not only physical agony, but for the first time in Jesus' life, he experienced something he had never experienced before. Everywhere he had gone, everything that he said, everything that he did, the Gospel of John tells us, he did or said because he saw his Father doing it. He heard his Father saying it. He lived in the presence of God while on earth. He walked around in the presence of God, dwelling in it as if the cloud were enveloping Him constantly because it was. You just couldn't see it. And for the first time in His life, for you and for me, He experienced a separation from that and cries out with the cry of a lost man, no longer, my Father, but just, my God, my God, why have You forsaken me? 
Only a few times in the Old Testament does the word Father refer to God. And in each time it's prophesying about the future when Jesus would speak it. 277 times Jesus called God Father in the New Testament because that was His relationship. My Father in heaven. It was a personal relationship. The Spirit in us teaches us to cry out, Abba or Papa, Daddy God. A very personal relationship. But at this moment in his life, he feels a rejection, a separation, because he took your sin and my sin upon himself. And instead of his relationship with God being like a father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, that must have hurt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the first time Judah would not feel his father's hand of protection, feel alone with wolves? Know that I wasn't near. Feel people surrounding him that wanted to hurt him. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Read Second Samuel 22. You hear Jesus through the voice of David saying, The strong bulls of Bashan have surrounded me on every side. He's crying out as a lost man, being overcome with the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. Why did he do it? What for? Uh, we've learned all of the church language. Oh, to pay a price for your sin as an eternal propitiation for your sin. We've talked about substitution, how He was substituted for you. And all of these words that dress it up and make it sound like something pretty and theological. John tells us He did it so that you could be where He was in the presence of God. Watch what happens here next. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed His last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was or is the Son of God. When Jesus cried out, it is finished! Somebody asked me a week ago, what was He talking about being finished? I mean, we're not resurrected yet. The uh, millennial reign has... What was finished? It was finished that there was a way for you to be in the presence of God. What He did, He did for you so that you could be where He was. Actually, where I am, He says. In the presence of God. Why the temple tear, or the curtain tearing? The Jews had this curtain to separate the holy place from the most holy place. We've joked about this line in our church being that line. It's, it's just a bad joke. But if you can imagine that you're only good enough to come to a certain place, and you couldn't go any further. And the one man who could go further, a high priest each year, had a goat thong tied around his ankle. A cord. He had bells on his garment. So that if when he crossed over that line, he had sin in his life, and God struck him dead, you had a way to drag him out without you getting struck dead. A barrier there showing the presence of God is here, and you are here on the other side of the barrier. Separated from God outside of His empowerment, outside of His cloud, outside of His glory, outside of His kingdom. And then Jesus does His work and He yells, it is finished. And immediately, the first thing that happens... By the way, the Jews added to this curtain every year. Isn't that interesting? Started off a curtain. But every year they wove more and more into it. There were cherubim on it. And it was blue. Symbolized heavenly things and the cherubim always represented a protectiveness of God's presence. 
And they added to it every year and they kept building it and building it and building it. So that it was more than six inches thick by the time Jesus was there. Why? Showing it is an impenetrable heavenly barrier that you can't do anything about. And from the very top of it, up closest to where God is, to the very bottom of it, the earth that you stand on, it was torn from top to bottom, showing that you now had access into the holiest places with God. Peter said, it's good that we build a shelter here. And he didn't know what he was saying. If you just listen to the words of Jesus and do what He tells you to do, the shelter is with you wherever you go in the presence of God. You know, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. But we get together in our services and we pray and say, we need Jesus to show up. We say, where there are two or more gathered, He's there in our presence. And He promised never to leave us as orphans. He's with us all of the time. His empowerment is with us all of the time. It's us who are not with Him all of the time. See, His glory is around us, but we're sleepy, full of the flesh, and we just don't see it. But when you can jar yourself, wake yourself up, realize who you are, that you have transformed from a mere natural man into something supernatural, all of a sudden His kingdom power is available to you where it wasn't before. We describe that as being filled with the Spirit. Nothing new is happening. If you're a Christian, He's in you as a deposit. A deposit is something that's held on to and never let go of. It didn't go away. You just stopped recognizing His presence for a moment. And He had to wake you up so that you could see it again. We're being transformed. Hebrews 6, 19 says, We have a new hope that takes us behind the curtain into the presence of God. You are no longer on the outside looking in. You should see yourself walking in the holiest place on earth everywhere you put your foot. Paul goes so far as to say, don't join yourself to a prostitute. That would be joining Christ to a prostitute. Because Paul recognized wherever you go, the presence of God is with you. doesn't mean God's doing what you do. It means He's there with you when you do it. Isn't that interesting? 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to wrap it up here in just a second. I'm giving you a gift today. It's a 30-minute message with a 45-minute preamble. <laughs> I'd actually planned to leave that clock an hour behind so that I could say I let you out early. <laughs> what did I tell you to go 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 3. Y'all love Jesus this morning? You want to walk in His presence? It's for a purpose. He didn't just give you a toy. You're supposed to be doing something. You have mirrors in your house for no other reason than you wanted a flat, smooth piece of glass? No. You might like them, but there's a reason you have them there. They're to perform a function. You all are building materials for the house of God, but you have a function. You're supposed to be doing something. God saved you, not just to save you. He saved you because there was a purpose for your life, a meaning, something you were supposed to contribute to mankind, to His body, to the whole world system. 
That means he valued you. He bought you because he wanted something from you. Matt had a laser level. I used this laser level to put up that chart that is back there. I loved it. It was absolutely... It was magnificent. It shone a line all the way across the wall that was easy to follow. He had to pay some money for that. He had to make a willful decision that its function was worth the price. I want you to think about that. Its function was worth the price. What price was paid for you? What price was paid for you? The highest possible price. Because your function was worth the price. He wanted something from you. He didn't do it just to be a nice God. I know that's what we've heard all of our lives. And that is part of it. But He saved you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells you to do the good work He had purposed in advance. That means before saving you. To do. He looked at you and said, Cassidy Piro has got a function that I want her to perform. And I have paid a price for her in order for her to be transformed into something that can perform that function. Why do you think Hebrews says, how should we escape if we ignore such a great mercy and calling? After the price is paid, knowing what your function is, you stiff-arm God's Spirit. You quench His holy fire. You don't allow Him to transform you, move you. You just simply say, no, I'm not participating. Then we act like it's a tragic thing. Somebody goes to hell. That's a tragic thing that they wasted their life and lived in hell on earth. 2 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> Starting in verse 15. I'd like to read more, but I'm just out of time. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts to speaking about non-believing members of the nation of Israel. When Moses was read, they should see Jesus in it because the purpose of the law was to reveal the goodness of Jesus, to instruct people how to live, a right way to live, to show them where their inadequacies were so that they would have a need for the Savior, but also to show them the kind of work the Savior would do and the good things that He would do. But a veil covered some eyes so that they couldn't see it. They were asleep in the presence of the glory of God. It's interesting though, Moses was still being read, isn't it, Matt? But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, meaning that you can see Jesus in the Tanakh. Now the Lord is the Spirit. You got that? There's a good oneness Scripture for you. I'm teasing, not oneness. What did we come to call it? Plural unity? Plural oneness? Ehad. We just use the Hebrew word. Believing in the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost acting as one unit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom to what? What is there freedom for? And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which come from the Lord who is the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Lord. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the presence of God for a purpose, that you might reflect 
God's glory with an ever-increasing glory. More glory the day after you were saved than the day you were saved. More glory the month after you were saved than the day you were saved. And so on and so forth. An ever-increasing glory as you are being transformed. Transformed into what? Transformed into what? Something that holds the fullness of God. At the resurrection, we all unite like those transformers unite into one entity, the body of Christ, that houses the fullness of God. In the same way that the man Jesus housed the fullness of God. We just do it corporately. But what happens when the transformers refuse to transform? What happens when those who are called to be what the Psalms calls little gods choose to be mere men? What happens when you lay aside the glory of the immortal God for some temporal thing and refuse to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, the washing of the Word? Psalm 82 says you die like mere men. It's held out for you. It's what you're destined for. It's what you're supposed to be walking in. You just get to choose whether or not you want to do it. There are two patterns. Turn with me to Philippians. Philippians 3. You remember there was the pattern of this world? You remember that? Romans 12 said, Don't you conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be renewed, be transformed. In Philippians 3, starting around 17. Join with others in following My example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. There's a pattern the world gave you, and there's a pattern that's been handed down through the holy apostles and the body of Christ. You have to reject the one pattern that is worldly and take up the pattern that is godly. You have to be transformed from one image into another. Join with the others in following My example, brothers, and according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Romans 12 told you to transform your mind. Philippians 3 tells you that even your body itself will be transformed. Our goal is to become more like Christ every day. Not settling for what you were yesterday. Not settling for what you were the month before. Not allowing people to say, that's just the same old Bobby. That's the same old Craig. Oh, well, that's just Mandy. It is not. That was the Mandy yesterday. The Craig yesterday. The Bobby yesterday. What I am today is being continuously transformed into the image of Christ. 
And if you saw something yesterday that didn't look like Jesus, well, today I have a new start. And today it's going to look like Jesus. By the grace of God, it's going to. Listen to how it said in 2 Peter. Try for this to be the last Scripture that I read you this morning. Not because you don't want more, but because it's a potluck supper Sunday. Supper? Dinner. In Texas, I'm confused by that. We have dinner, supper, lunch. I don't understand them all. We're going to eat. That, that much I know. Some of you are eating now. 2 Peter 1. I think that there should be a Christian daylight savings time. If the government can speak and say, we're going to change everything, just add an hour or take away an hour, we should be able to do that on Sundays. I would give another hour right now. <laughs> Everybody says, yeah, brother, that's a good idea, but next Sunday, right? Second hmm. Peter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those, I'm sorry, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Did you hear that? His divine power has given us everything that we need. You don't lack anything to live the way that God wants you to live. You don't lack anything to be transformed into the image of Christ. He has given you everything that you need. Body of Christ, quit waiting for something to come from the outside in to change you and start using what has already been placed in you to work outward and change you. The body of Christ is centrifugal. What has been placed in the center of you is supposed to be spinning outwards like it was in a centrifuge until it has separated the flesh from the Spirit and then moves to other people's lives doing the very same thing. You've been given everything that you need. Everything leaves out the possibility for you not having something that you need. He has given you everything. How many times have you thought if I only had a different job? If I only had a different spouse. If I only had different friends. If I only had a different body. If I only had... You have everything that you need. Everything. It's like the mechanic. Always waiting on parts. You know? Never wanting to fix the problem. Just wait on parts. That's the body of Christ. We're just waiting on parts. Jesus says, go, we tell Him, come. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So while I'm saved, I have faith. You're supposed to be adding something to your faith. Goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. Well, Lord, I had faith and I added goodness. Wasn't that enough? No. Knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. Lord, does this ever end? No. And to self-control, perseverance. Saints, if I could give you any gift, any gift at all, 
If there was a pill that I could give you that would put any character trait in your life, period, it'd be perseverance. Christians don't get what they're after because we give up too quickly. We sow it in faith and go dig it up in doubt right away. We're standing in a house right now that God gave us and thank God that He did. But it came through perseverance. I promise that. After we had been told no, that it wasn't a possibility, we were still... (laughs) Wow, this on film too. Sneaking in this house, anointing the walls with oil and praying, believing that God would give us this house. Somebody else closed on it. It was theirs. Legally theirs. And we were still driving by it, laying hands on the wall and possibly sneaking in it laying hands on the walls and praying over it, believing that it would be ours. That's perseverance. And you know what? Today I'm preaching from it. Those people leased it to us. Who would ever have thought? And leased it to us at what is a lower rate than we could have bought it for. I hope they don't listen to this message, but some $400 below the market value for the house each month. Perseverance always pays off, friends. You just have to work. Godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. The idea is that it never stops. You start with faith and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and you're always looking to add because you are being transformed. Never what you were yesterday. Never what you are today. Only what you will be tomorrow. It grows and grows and grows. If Christians were cyclists, we would be looking for hills to coast down all of the time. The problem is is this is an upward ascension from your base, lowly nature into the heavenly nature that God has called you. And it is crowned with a glorified body after having your entire lifetime to cause your soul to submit to your spirit. You finally get a body that will submit to both of them. Better work on it now, saints. Verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, Does it say if you possess these qualities? You have to possess them in an increasing manner. Say, well, I'm loving. Yeah, but are you more loving today than you were last month? It's not enough to be loving. Say, well, I have self-control. Are you more self-controlled today than you were last month? Well, I have goodness. More goodness today than you did a year ago? It has to be growing because you are continually becoming more like Jesus. And He was the ultimate. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are some that want to camp inside the door. That think that they've reached the top of the hill and now it's time to coast. Whether 8 or 80, crippled or crazy, no matter who's who in this charismatic zoo, there is no time to coast. It's not there. It has to be an increasing measure all of your life. It never stops. I complained to Jesus one time many years ago. Not that many. About four or five. I said, Lord, I can't keep... It was year 2000. I can't keep up the pace. I feel like my chest is going to explode. I can't do this. I need it to slow down. That sounds like a reasonable prayer, doesn't it? As God is my witness, He spoke to me and said, slow down. It's going to speed up. Prepare yourself. This walk speeds up. It does not slow down. More is required tomorrow than it was today, but you are ever more increasingly prepared to handle it. You're being prepared for greatness, saints. You just have to embrace what you're called to. But if anyone does not have them, 
He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that He has been cleansed from His past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. I spent a couple hours talking at the Baptist Student Ministries about whether or not you needed to make your calling and election sure. doesn't matter what men tell you. really doesn't. You have to possess these qualities in increasing measure if you want to make your calling and election sure. Creeds of the church are just creeds. They're just creeds. And I give you a hint, saints, they change through the years. A universal truth does not change depending upon who's in political power or what social reforms have occurred in a country. A universal truth is a universal truth because it's universal. We hold this scripture to be true. Doesn't, doesn't matter what the creeds of your church are. For you, if you do these things, you will never fall. If you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things. I like that. It gives me an excuse to be repetitious. I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I want you to get this. This is his second letter to this group of people. They're not slackers. They're not backsliders. They don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. He's writing this to people that are firmly established in the truth with an apostle as their pastor. I think that makes this applicable to us, don't you? I think that it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of a body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Peter said, I'm going to die soon and I'm going to go on to be with Jesus. But what's important now is that I make every effort to make sure that you remember something. If you spent your life trying to get your son to remember something, it must have been important to you, right? What did he want you to remember? That you had to possess these things in increasing measure so that you would be fruitful and not be unproductive. Saints, we have to be transformed. We can no longer conform to the pattern of this world. You can feel it. Boy, in the sales environment, I can feel it. Feel that pressure squeezing you. I know the right things to say to a customer to squeeze a product out of them. It's in me. And not all of it's wrong. Part of that is just my job, and Jesus would do it if He had my job, just like He drove nails as a carpenter. Okay? But there's a part of it that is the image of this world that I'm not allowed to embrace. I have to be conformed to the image of Christ. I have to do it like He would do it. He said, but that's hard. That's right. That's why He called you. You're capable of doing it. He looked at your function and said, it's worth paying that price. I want it. You were redeemed for a purpose. I need to close. Saul's heart was changed. 2 Samuel 10 says he was changed into a different person. Just like you were changed. But he didn't make it, did he? Why not? The pattern of this world is one he conformed to. Fear of what people thought. Nebuchadnezzar ruled the world, had the world under his thumb. The man had dreams about the kingdoms that would come that Daniel interpreted. 
His heart was changed too. His very mind was changed. Do you know what into? That of an animal. For seven years. He considered his will more important than God's. So God showed him who was boss. Had him on all fours in a field like an animal for seven years. He said, how mean. How could God do that to a man? Because he wanted a certain result out of Nebuchadnezzar. You know what it was? Last recorded words of Nebuchadnezzar before leaving the earth as recorded in the Bible is Yahweh God is able to abase the proud. I hope my life leaves such a message as that. What an honor. All of us have experienced a change. Now it is time to add to that change an increasing measure of love, faith, goodness, all of those things. You have to be transformed into the body of Christ so that those of us that have the deposit of the Spirit now working in us can be united and the fullness of the deity will dwell in the body of Christ. That's what you're destined for. You get to decide whether you arise to meet that destiny. Stand up. Let's pray. All of the talk about transforming buildings, transforming pulpits, all of those things are things that any worldly lost person can do. Always things on the outside. What it takes a real man is to figure out how to transform your heart, how to transform your life, how to place God's will above yours. It's hard. It is so hard. Somebody, Gabe was standing right next to me the other day. I squished my finger in a hinge. There's a certain pattern that comes to mind. A way to handle that. Even words to express. It takes work. It takes work to accept a different pattern for your life. One that you're not naturally fit for. One that you're not naturally conformed to. It's a shaping process. God's good at it. He'll provide a rasp right next to you. It'll sand you, file you, shape you so that you can fit into the mold. You know what that rasp is? That sanding stone is? They're standing on your left and right. We love each other enough to interact with each other even in a harsh way at times so that we can all be conformed to the image of Christ. I have a stake in your life, not because I'm your pastor, but because I'm a brother Christian. We're going to be united even as Jesus and the Father were united. It means, it means something to me whether you make it or don't make it. It ought to mean something to you about the people standing on your left and your right. Praise God. The Word says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Praise God for that. That means when we collide, it's for our benefit. It means it's God shaping us so that we can be conformed to His image. All good relationships start with a storming phase. They do. Anybody that says differently is lying or has never been married for sure. Storming. But then comes the forming phase. I want to be formed by Jesus with all of my heart. And I want you to as well. Y'all pray with me. Mighty God, we love You. Lord, with all of our heart, we're asking You to knock off our rough edges. Lord, to help us to not fall into that pattern that is natural for us. Lord, to hate those that hate us. To retaliate. Lord God, to lust. To covet. To allow jealousy in our lives. Lord, that pattern that is just a mere natural pattern. We want something that is supernatural. We want Your image, Your pattern, Your way of life, Your empowerment to work in us. Lord, we acknowledge today and we take responsibility 
for the fact that You have given us everything that we need. Now the ball's in our court.